0: This is Monstras. So hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Monstras. I'm Brenda Salguero, and with me today is, as usual, is
1: Orquídea Morales.
0: Yay! (laughs) Yes. Okay.
1: No worries. Sometimes we say our last name. Sometimes we don't. Who cares? I don't care. Um, I was trying to be more dramatic. That's what the pause was. It's like (laughs) Orquídea Dun Dun Morales.
0: (laughs) Very telenovela-like. It's very good. But today, what we have going on is a special episode. We were going to do El Cucuy, and we've pushed that back, actually, to a different month. But this month, we're actually going to concentrate due to the events, current events, that are going on in the world. We wanted to do something that might uh, be more relatable to current times. And so, what are we going to talk about today, Orquídea?
1: So, for today's episode, we thought we would do something historical and timely. And it was actually really fun to research, which I didn't expect. So we're going to be talking about plagues and pandemics. Very exciting. And we'll do the kukui episode some other time. And we can talk like it was really difficult researching that episode.
0: Oh, uh, the kukui? Yeah. Yeah, I had some issues. But I think it's also about terminology. Like there's different versions of el Cucuy and yeah so we can talk about that when in that episode of
1: of how it's an interesting thing to research for now yeah but for now we're focusing on plagues and pandemics so brenda how are you doing in this pandemic oh my god yes.
0: um <laughs> okay i guess like i have my job currently still for the most part i don't know if i'll have it after june 30th that's kind of what we've been told is uh we don't know what's gonna happen after that so hopefully we um are still okay up until that point for the most part it's been uh in terms of job security it's been kind of wary but at least i have something until june 30th i know guaranteed so that's been semi-comforting but other than that it's just being kind of alone at home and not having my roommate here usually because she's gone she's at her parents house and so I'm kind of home alone and just dealing with it as an extrovert who likes being around people. It's been really hard (laughs) in that respect.
1: I can only imagine because like for me, it's been hard sometimes. Like just I'm kind of missed seeing people not even interacting because I'm an introvert and I hate talking to people. But I know you're an extrovert. You're a for real Thank extrovert. You. Thank you. for so your sympathy. So this is so freaking hard. <laughs> I am so sorry.
0: It has been. It's been hard, but it's also been interesting <laughs> because I found I'm pretty busy. I'm still working from home. So I have the ability. I've been very lucky that I have the ability to work from home. I um, So I have work to do. I also have the writing workshop. It's still going. And so I'm still working on that as well. And I'm working on our website, which, as you've seen, is is slowly coming together. So that's exciting. And hopefully we'll be able to roll that out at some point.
1: <laughs> it looks really awesome. So I'm really excited to to see it up and see it go live <laughs> and have people interact with it. And we look really cool. So we, we both did, like, photo shoots. I did it with my roommate during the quarantine. And we look awesome. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's really awesome. I'm very happy my anime obsession as a child paid off as an adult, where I learned I taught myself Photoshop as a child because I was so obsessed with anime that I was like, oh, I'm gonna do wallpapers. And so that's how I taught myself at Photoshop.
1: Such a dork. I love it. Isn't it great? (laughs) That's awesome. Well, yeah, it's definitely paying off and people will see it soon enough and they'll love it.
0: Yeah, so it'll be good. Um, But yeah, so we're glad to be back. I know we were gone for a little bit. Also, we were trying to adjust. I know you or Kiria have been having kind of a a crazy time adjusting. You're actually in New York, which is the epicenter right now. So how's that going?
1: It's a a little scary and surreal because thankfully, I, I can also work from home. So all the classes are moving to online, which is what I had to do that. That was difficult and then i've had to do some advising so last week i had meetings with students like i had 8 a day <laughs> oh god and that was crazy but thankfully it seems like most of them are doing fine and it's it's hard to see how it's affecting everybody and i don't know what the new normal is going to be that's scary
0: yeah i mean with the possibility of unemployment being like as upward as high as 50% that's the mm-hmm. highest that it's ever been like, yeah. even through the Great Depression, even through the 2008 crash, I feel bad for students. I've been talking to students also because I work in edu- and higher ed. I don't interact with students as much as you do, but for the little that we've interacted, you know, they're gradu- So A lot of them are graduating during this time. And it sucks because I was able to run away to a different country when the 2008 crash happened. And so I went to Australia for a year. Yeah. And they don't mm-hmm. even have that and so many option. of you them are leave.
1: Like, I was going to say so many of them are losing you know, their jobs right it's now. It's like every. So during this period of transition, yeah, they're going to graduate and they don't have any money saved up for that transition for that difficult time. So it's going to be hard.
0: It sucks. It's going to be hard. I don't know what's going to happen, especially it, <sighs> what stresses me out most is like it's an election year. So it being an election year is, is what's stressing me out too cuz I'm like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with the election? Are people going to go out and vote? Am oh, I wow. I also bought tickets to go to Japan <laughs> in the end, yeah, in November for November. So we'll see if I even go because it's just been so nuts. I my feeling is that I'm hoping in California at least because we yeah. put in our Shelter in place so early, we'll be able to get out a little earlier. It is indicative of good leadership at least at a at a state level. It's interesting to see all the different states and their leadership and how how some places have bungled it so badly. Yeah. Uh, usually Republicans, of course. And but now
1: everyone's at this point everyone's at in shelter in place. Every single state. I saw that Texas is gonna try to lift that sooner rather than later. They want Well, they're stupid. Well yes. <laughs> As a Texan. Yes. <laughs> I agree. The government there is is just ridiculous. But yeah. It's that, that we don't have like a nation wide shelter in place, which is what we need. We all need to be doing we the don't same have, thing.
0: We don't have leadership at the top. Yeah. We have a clown. So <laughs> clowns you know, are at least funny. Clown... That's true. At least they're funny. I mean, this clown is scary. He's a he's a John Wayne, Wayne Gacy of clowns, yeah. honestly. So, he's not he's not uh, very smart at all and they really want to lift this shelter in place, but it's like if you lift it now, you're going to suffer for it later and it's going to have bigger economic repercussions because the reason why we have such huge re- repercussions now is because we didn't prepare in January. Yeah. That's the whole, like, if we had been prepped in January, we would have been doing much better. And I think the outcome would have been much better if we had gone into shelter in place,
1: maybe as early as February. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, the the pandemics or the epidemics we're talking about today are so fascinating because we had the knowledge, right? We knew what was coming. We knew what the disease was, even though, like, we still didn't do anything. Right. Exactly. We didn't do anything. But can you imagine living at a time when you had no idea and all of a sudden this happened, which is what we saw historically, right? And of course, we're talking about um, the conquest of the Americas by the Spanish and the English. So that's what we'll be talking about today.
0: Yep. Uh, It's going to be an interesting story. And so I'm excited to talk about it because I researched. So what we did this time is we both researched a different yeah, pandemic, a different type of, it's the same plague, but it's different consequences. And so, Orchidia you'll start. I don't know what you're going to be talking about specifically. It is a surprise to me. Yay! I know.
1: I'm excited. We should do more of these. Okay. So, yes. I will be talking about like a cocolistly co- 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 um, epidemic. I'm going to have to say that a lot through this podcast, so hopefully I get it right. Cocolistly. Leastly. Oh, my God. it's hard but uh one of the things obviously was when these diseases were happening it was indigenous communities were having first contact with europeans and not only were they living under a new reality where they were losing like autonomy their their way of life they were also losing their health right like they had no control over that so I kind of knew that diseases were one of the big reasons that indigenous communities in the Americas fell to um, the Spanish. But researching kind of like more information on the diseases and the symptoms and things like that was super fascinating and super depressing. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, so I researched the Cocolis sleep epidemic, which ranged from roughly 1545 to 1548. There were other spikes. Uh, But that was the major one. Have you heard of that one, the Cocolistli?
0: No, I've never heard of this one. So this is going to be a surprise.
1: So as we know, Hernán Cortés reached Yucatán, Mexico in 1519. um, And it's hard to know the population of Mexico. Then estimates range from 15 to 30 million. That's how... Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a, a big range, but that's the idea. So by 1600, the population was roughly 2 million. So that goes from 15 to 30 million to 2 million, which is a decimation of so many lives and communities. It's it's freaking crazy, right? And that happens in less than a century. So less than a generation saw this happen. It's uh,
0: insane. I can't even imagine. That's basically us going from, what, 330 million to 10 million? I don't know. I can't That's- math, but... Yes. Yeah, I can't <laughs> It's devastating. It's devastating. It's basically like all this ha- these houses would be empty around yeah. me.
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the biggest causes for the, for all these deaths was the cocolistli epidemic. The cocolistli comes from the verb cocoa, or to be sick, pain, and body parts. So it really, like, literally it means the sick epidemic, right? Like, mm. to be sick. Because there, there was no um, comparison to it. They had no idea what it was. And so it was so new and unknown. It was just the sickness that was killing people. That's what they called oh. it. Um, I found this really great article. Uh, it was titled, When Half of the Population Died, The ep- Epidemic of hem- Hemorrhagic... How do you say that? Hemorrhagic. Hemorrhagic fevers of 1576 in Mexico. Um, It's by Rodolfo Acuña Soto, David Stahl, Matthew Therrell, Richard Griffin, and Malcolm Cleveland. Um, You can tell it's a science article because it has multiple authors. I don't know how they work together.
0: (laughs) No idea. That's a lot of chefs in a kitchen.
1: Yeah. But this one was published in 2004, and and that's important when it comes to discussions of Kukulisli. So in 2004, this was... One of the major articles, and this was like the major hypothesis. So Mm -hmm. this article talks about the Gokulistli epidemic and the deaths it caused. They say that 60 to 70% of the death toll uh, was caused by these uh, hemorrhagic fevers that people didn't know where they were coming from. Um, And they're the ones that talk about like the waves of diseases. So it starts off in 1545. Uh, by 1576, it was it had spread from central Mexico, where it first started, all the way to the Sonora region, so northern Mexico, all the way to south to the Yucatan region, and even hit Guatemala. So it was really wide ranging uh, disease. The end of the outbreak was declared in 1578, but the following rainy season, around August 1579, Listli returned, and it caused less. Um, human losses, like less deaths by then, but it's kind of been lurking and and coming back until 1581. So there were a few cycles of it coming and going. So the authors did some research to get some of the numbers of how many people lived in the communities and how many died. So they looked at old records that the Spaniards had left behind, and the results indicated that in 1570, a total of 2,098,426 people lived in 157 communities that they researched in Central Mexico, two years after the epidemic, so by 1580 roughly, the population was reduced to 1,020,524. So that's a loss of 51.36 percent in two years. Oh my God, that's devastating. Yeah. So like half the population just decimated. And, and again, these are just this is just a research in those small number of communities right it's not wide-ranging we don't really know what happened everywhere these are what what records exist so for them these recol- uh, results indicate that the initial estimates of the 16th century were correct and the the epidemic of 1576 did kill half of the population of mexico so wow. um that that idea that half the population was gone was actually true For example, in Texcoco, one of the cities or towns that they looked at in central Mexico, the population of indigenous uh, people was about 18,851 in 1570. And 10 years later, by 1580, it was 1,886. So about 19,000 people. Wait, 17,000 people died in one town? Yeah, that's
0: insane. Yeah. That's a that's a level of devastation that we don't we have no understanding of.
1: No. Thankfully we we don't and I I hope we never understand these numbers. But just just seeing them is really terrifying, right? How quickly it spread, um how hard it was to get rid of it, right? The fact that it kept coming back. Something okay. we have to consider. Yes, Um, today. Yes. Because it's not just going away because we don't have a vaccine yet. Exactly. And again, the fear they must have had not knowing what this was, not having any like terminology to talk about it. So, and it wasn't affecting the Spanish. Exactly. And I'll talk about why scientists think that was. So, Some of the symptoms, uh, and I think this is the worst part because they were really horrifying deaths. So according to the the same article, symptoms included high fever, vertigo, severe headache, insatiable thirst, red eyes, and weak pulse. So that's already bad. That's not good times. And then you get jaundice, anxiety, dementia, and restlessness. Then their skin starts to hurt. They can't handle wearing clothing, being covered with blankets. And after that stage, they start to get nodules. So like little bumps on their skin um, around their ears that were filled with shit ton of pus. The patients had intense chest and abdominal pain, dysentery, ulcers around their lips and genitals. By the end of it, blood would come out of their ears, anus, vagina, mouth, and or nose. So... All of this happened within the span of 3 to 5 days. What? <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but that's that's terrifying like you start off with what a freaking headache and a high fever and that's already shitty and 3 days later you're bleeding out your butt, man.
0: Yeah, you're just you're just a bleeding mess at that point. It yeah. sounds like almost like Ebola.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what they thought it was it, the the hemorrhagic fevers is um like a large category and is under that umbrella and they thought that whatever this was is under that umbrella it's just something that hasn't come back and they don't have a name for it but there's other hypotheses or guesses i guess that i'll talk about but yeah oh. so those were the freaking symptoms and that's and how you've never done.
0: Yeah. And that's horrifying. So, I mean, obviously they saw it as the end of the world. Like that was the end of their world. That was literally the end of their life and livelihood. And to see people die horrifically, it's horrifically traumatizing for who whoever did survive.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like the level of trauma and fear that something like that might happen again. And you lose family structures, you lose societal structures like the government's gone everything is just gone when so many people die in such horrible ways Um, so i have this quote from uh, a franciscan friar fray juan de torquemeda who in 1576 wrote "Uh, the fevers were contagious burning and continuous all of them pestilential and most part lethal the tongue was dry and black enormous thirst Urine of the colors, sea green, vegetal green, and black, sometimes passing from the greenish color to the pale. Pulse was frequent, fast, small, and weak, sometimes even null. The eyes and the whole body were yellow. This stage was followed by delir- delirium and seizures, then hard and painful nodules appeared behind or one or both ears along with heartache. Chest pain, abdominal pain, tremor, great anxiety, and dysentery. Wow, so, yeah. So, what was this horrible kokolistli that really was killing and torturing people? The truth is, nobody knows what it is. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, of course, we don't. We have no goddamn clue, and it might come back,
1: guys. Who knows? Dude, no, it actually might. And I'll talk about that, okay?
0: That's oh, so goddammit! I'm half-joking!
1: You are not wrong! I didn't wrong. want it to be true! Damn <laughs> so it! There, there's a few hypotheses, and obviously people don't know what it is, partly because records are gone and bodies are gone, right? Like, there's not much way to know. But, again, the, re- the article I referenced at the beginning does say that some autopsies were performed during that time. Um, And the autopsies described enlarged and hardened livers, lung hemorrhaging, and splenomegaly. Um, What is that? So, I can't remember, but that sounds weird.
0: It almost sounds like the spleen.
1: Yeah, maybe. Like, it's like swollen spleen?
0: Let me look it up.
1: Splenomegaly. Splenomegaly.
0: Splenomegaly. Haha, I was right. It is the spleen. It's a condition that occurs when your spleen becomes enlarged.
1: Okay. We guessed right. We're scientists.
0: (laughs) Yay!
1: (laughs) So there's a few hypotheses. The first one, some scholars hypothesize that it could be caused by a VHF disease, which is what you were talking about. It's a viral hemorrhagic fever uh, so other examples include Ebola and the Hantavirus. So that's one of the major um, guesses. The second part, one of the components that could have led to the high mortality rate of the indigenous folks is the, the class differences. So reports from the Times mm. state that Spaniards rarely contracted the cocolisli, and when they did, they were not severe. So according to the article, they write, quote, when half of the population died, one possibility for these disparities in the large number of indigenous deaths could be caused not by the disease alone. Rather, these numbers were a result of different social classes, right? So that that's their, their argument that it wasn't just the disease, it was the fact that the indigenous folks were already malnourished, they had a lower immune system because they were forced to be slaves to the Spaniards and things like that. So that would have added to their lower immune system and to their susceptibility to get so sick.
0: Mm. Gotcha. It's it's something similar we see now yeah. with lower, lower uh, income populations and the COVID affecting the deaths are more in African-American and Latino, Latinx communities.
1: Yeah, because those are folks that still have to go to work usually live with family members, don't have the same type of healthcare, So all these factors contribute to the the disease and, and the mortality rate. So that's what they were talking about, which again was really, really fascinating to, to think about, right? That it's not just the disease that happens on its own, but these like larger uh, social factors that make it worse. Um, so the article that I've been referencing was published in 2014, 2015, and that was the mm-hmm. most popular hypothesis in the research that I did, that it was a VHF. But in 2018, they did some new research because they found some skeletons. Oh. And so there's a bunch of articles that are like, do we, re- do we finally know what caused it? Okay. So uh, they found <laughs> so they found yes. 29 skeletons in an ancient city called uh, Tepozcolula Yuc- Yucunda in the mm-hmm. Oaxaca region of Mexico. So a Mishtec region. And in the skeletons the scientists found traces of Salmonella enterica. So Salmonella. It's possible no. that this could have been caused by Salmonella. Is that crazy? Right?
0: <laughs> that's that's what caused I would I mean and it's not that I'm disappointed. I'm just really surpri- I'm shocked.
1: Yeah. No. I me too. So I still think it might be a combination of like the 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 viral hemorrhagic fevers and Salmonella. That hit them so hard because it's hard to, and I looked up the symptoms of salmonella and they don't include bleeding from your orifices. So, but again, I'm not a scientist, so I could be wrong,
0: probably. (laughs) It could be a combination. I mean, there were so many diseases going on all at once in these regions. So different parts of the Americas could have been hit with different types of Diseases, so you know, and I'll talk about it in my section. But I, I have a completely different disease that affected the Inca Empire.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. So in the article that I found by Angus Chen, he suggests that it's possible that Salmonella worked with other infections and conditions to create those 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 deaths. So Salmonella, these are the symptoms. It's a type of bacteria, so it's not a virus. And it's mostly found in intestinal tracts of humans and farm animals, but I didn't know this. It could also be found in wild birds, reptiles, and sometimes rarely insects. So insects could have salmonella. Yeah. Ew. Ew. (laughs) So salmonella can be found in polluted water from farms, for example, where the mix of feces and water, and then that ends up in the drinking water supply. And usually it's poultry, so... Or good from the chicken—that's the main holder and carrier of Salmonella. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, so that's the current hypothesis that it's Salmonella, and probably a mix of Salmonella and other diseases. Of course, the disease was also complicated or made worse because there was a series of droughts that happened right before the diseases started. So the theory is this is where it gets fun. Okay. Okay. So it appears that Cocolistli requires two major factors to become a deadly epidemic. We get a shit ton of drought and then really rainy year mixed out with a malnourished population, and you might get Cocolistli to come back. What? Yeah. So these conditions have happened in Mexico since then, according to the authors from the first article. But Cocolistli has thankfully not reappeared. They just have no idea why it hasn't reappeared. It's scary to think it could just at any point. It's just waiting, is sleeping, waiting to come back and kill us all. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. So honestly, that's... what
0: the fuck?
1: <laughs> this is this was really fascinating and freaking terrifying, dude. Like not it's, it's just it... like in the middle of Mexico, just waiting
0: and just biding its goddamn time. Yeah. See, this is more scary than the ghostesses and the ghosts <laughs> that you talk about because this bitch is real for me yeah. at least. <laughs> it's it's it it can strike at any moment. Yep. And I'm thinking about drought and drought is is something that's going to happen with
1: climate change. So that's that's the idea, and right? All these diseases that are Exist in nature might come back because of climate change.
0: Yeah, there might be a resurgence of of everything just because of yeah this. Oh my gosh, what devastation! That is terrifying. Thank you for that. You're Thank very you for, welcome. For giving, yeah, <laughs> g- let's add onto my pile of anxieties.
1: <laughs> I feel like you know. It was a good distraction to research this rather than to be watching the news. But now that we're recording it, I'm just like, oh shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're lucky that we were born at a different time.
1: Let's just say that much. That's very true. So, yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about what you discovered? Maybe it's less sad. No, it's just as sad. Oh. Unfortunately, it's,
0: sure. it's just as bad, except that I wanted. So when I was in college, I took an Incan archaeology and history course by this wonderful, amazing teacher. She refused to use PowerPoint, refused to do all, any of that crap. Mm-hmm. And she just sat up. And it was only like me and two other students. It was literally like, I don't know why this class existed, because it was literally <laughs> me and my friend. And that was it. It was like literally two people. And so she would lecture and she would tell us these stories and she would, and it was just so fascinating. And it always stuck with me, the story of the Incan empire and how amazing the Inca were. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to start from before the disease happened mm-hmm. and what happened with the disease um, what were the consequences of that disease to the power structure and how it brought down the Incan empire? So I start off with this question. How did an illiterate bastard soldier and his 175 men defeat the largest empire the world had seen up until that point?
1: (laughs) That's a good question.
0: Right? (laughs) So of course According to a lot of historians and and stories, it was disease. Obviously, there's other factors, but one of those big factors was definitely disease. So let me give you some background on the Incan Empire, my favorite empire ever. So the Incan Empire had only actually been around for about 50 years before Pizarro and his band of merry men came waltzing in. But in that time, they had created the largest empire in the world at that time. So it covered... Thousands upon thousands of miles in what we call Peru today, starting in Quito in the north and going all the way down to Santiago in the south. I looked this up on Google Maps to see how long it would take me to travel from that Quito to Santiago in a car. Mm. It would take me 33 hours to drive that distance today.
1: How do you keep control of such a large space? Territory? Yeah, territory, that's the Uh, word. Let
0: me tell you. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. So that's the most exciting part, to me at least, is that this territory contained 10 million people who spoke about 30 different languages. So the Inca Empire was really just a combination or a hodgepodge of other tribes. So this unification process actually began in the 14th century, but did not ramp up until the 15th century when the first Incan empire, and I'm going to mess this name up, uh, Pachukuti Inca Yupanqui. Also, that translates to the reverser of the world. Nice. Yeah, cool, right? All their names are fucking so cool. They're so cool. So he defeated the, uh, the Chanka, which was a tribe. And from there, the Inca actually began to expand. So again, good question, Orquidia. How do you control that amount of people in territory? It's huge. So first of all, the Incan were really just, or the Inca were really just about like 40,000 Quechua speaking people who were considered the ruling class. So not all the em- people in the empire were considered Inca or Incan. Okay. Uh, Again, they were kind of like a hodgepodge of different tribes and civilizations. So these tribes and all that stuff, those groups had already existed. The Inca just kind of started incorporating it into one big empire. So the way they controlled the the territory is really complex. I won't go super into detail, but essentially, there was an excellent administrative system that was put in place, along with a tax system that included a census. So the wealth of the empire was divided into threes. One for the people, so one-third of the empire's wealth was for the people, one-third was for the Inca, and one-third was for the sun. So based on the census, people would pay taxes not in currency, because that didn't exist at the time, but with food and goods. Them incorporating into the empire brought a lot of benefits to people, including better storage facilities for food, redistribution of goods and food during environmental disasters, roads. So they built this huge system of roads that people still use to this day, luxury goods, and military assistance. And all of this was kind of controlled from the empire's capital in Cusco. So they had kind of like a cascading administrative um, levels, you know, local and then like, Uh, higher up and then higher up. And then uh, finally, you know, it goes all back to
1: Cusco and to the Incan king. What would be considered luxury goods?
0: I think that would definitely be. So one of the things that the Spanish were attracted to when they came to this area was gold. And I'll go into it in a little bit. But gold was actually considered the tears of the sun. And so it was holy. And so, but they they had other luxury goods, and I'm guessing they might be like high-end textiles, silks, that sort of thing. So one day I'll do a whole episode on infrastructure. I I, infrastructure. I swear to God, because you, it's amazing because you (laughs) have to remember, you have to remember these people are put entire structures on tops of on the top of mountains. You know, Machu Picchu was built
1: by them. I just can't imagine like that because I'm, I'm picturing them like like the idea of a census is so difficult now. <laughs> like people won't fill it out. We can't count how we, like all these things are so difficult now to have an administrative system that's that effective and that seemingly people are happy with.
0: Well, they not everyone was happy with it. yeah I mean with any any type of empire culture anything not everyone was happy they had uprisings uh periodically from different regions but for the most part they kind of the inca kept it together mm-hmm. uh there was one story i read where one of the incan kings which i'll talk about in a second um capac was dealing with a rebellion of maybe it was the Chanka, I don't remember who exactly the tribe was. And actually it was women who were like, hey, don't don't be heavy handed in this. Be kind. And so he wasn't like he wasn't like, oh I'm gonna go and kill everyone and devastate everyone. They were rulers that ruled more from an administrative and more um, kind side, as opposed
1: to the Aztec, who were more brutal in their rule. Yeah, that's fascinating. We should definitely do an episode on them.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really fascinating. Uh, the Inca have are just fantastic, and they were amazing at masonry and architecture to this to the point where, in a previous episode about aliens, I talked about how their structure people think that aliens built them because how could these people know how to build these things and it's like no they knew you know their communication structure was insane you know what it was Mm-mm. it was basically a relay race so that makes sense they would put like they had little huts at different points and so a message from cusco could get to quito in like a manner of days instead of weeks because of how, isn't it insane? So what they did is they had young boys, you know, they were like almost like interns, young <laughs> running interns.
1: Running from phone booth to phone booth. It, like yes. That I, yeah.
0: Yes. And so they would, it was like a relay race. So they would pass on the message to the next, you know, young man. And then that young man would run as fast as they could to the next uh, point. And then that person would. And so it just kept going as a cascading you know, run. And because they had such a good structure of roads, it made it possible to do that.
1: Yeah. And it's so sustainable because people won't get tired. Like, you're only running a short amount of, just a shorter distance rather than doing the whole thing. It's doable.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's not one, you know, bastard on a horse. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Poor bastard. Yeah, exactly. It's a relay race. So. Yeah. Let's get into the final years of the empire. So let's talk about the supposed last Inca, why, uh, why not? Oh my God, I can never say his name, but it's um, Wayan Capac. Wayan Kapak. So the exact date of his birth is not known, but it is thought to have been around 1468, and he was the son of Tupac Inca. He was first married to his sister, Cusi Rimay, but their union produced no heirs, so then he took another sister, Arawa Oko yo, and produced an heir known as Huascar, who will come into play later. I wanted to throw in one more interesting fact in here uh, as an aside, but you heard the name Tupac, Tupac Inca. And so there was another uh, rebellion that after the, this is way after the Spanish were already, you know, set up and had taken over uh named Tupac Amaru and that's who Tupac Shakur is named after Really Yes he is named after a famous Incan rebel um rebel And so his mother was very well versed in these stories and in, she was just very knowledgeable and very smart woman mm-hmm. Uh she is I think she's still alive and uh named him after yeah an Incan an Incan uh, bloodline. is that crazy? That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I always blow people's minds with my facts. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, I know. So Waina Kapak also had a ton of other children. So he had 200 children, Shit. if you can believe it. I know. He just went nuts. Um, and 50 of those children were sons. Some of those included Ninan Cuyuchi who was the crown prince. His other notable child was uh, Atapalpa. So he'll come into play as well later. So Wayankapak knew that the Spanish were coming. He was actually informed. Uh, but, this d- but disease actually sadly traveled faster than men. So smallpox ended up reaching the royal household and decimated the line of succession. So Huayan Capac died in Cusco, along with his son and crown prince, Ninan Kuyuchi. So this kind of left the kingdom split in half with Atahualpa and Huascar kind of taking over 50-50. Mm-hmm. So Huascar was given kind of the southern provinces, while Atahualpa gained the north, uh, which included the capital uh, at Quito. Different. I read different sources that said different things, but essentially the results were the same. A civil war broke out. One source said that Wascar was the one who kind of started it. Uh, another source said that uh, Wayankapak died before he kind of in- instituted like a, a a clear succession line. Okay. Yeah. But I read different things, so I wasn't sure which one was true. But I just know that at the end of the day, a civil war broke out between the two half-siblings. And this is when the Spanish came.
1: That's so fucked the, up. It, Like,
0: literally. It's so messed up. Like, now you have... So, the Incan Empire is at this particular point, just as Wayan Capac dies, you know, is dealing with an outbreak of smallpox, which is destroying the population, not just the royal line. Then you have a civil war break out. And now you have these strangers in in your land. And you're just like, who the hell are you? So (laughs) it was absolute chaos. But in the Civil War, ultimately, Atahualpa uh, prevailed and won the empire. So after he won, soon after, he ended up being kidnapped by Francisco Pizarro in this crazy, crazy battle that involved uh, them cornering Atahualpa in kind of like a courtyard area. This is what, from my memory, from what I remember. So he was presented. So a priest went up to, because you can't be out here killing kings and stuff, because <laughs> the Spanish had a, had also come from a king and stuff. So yeah. they had to have like some sort of like, what is the word? justification for killing or kidnapping this king. Yeah. And so their justification was they sent a priest in, and Atahualpa is on his, you know, litter. He's got dudes carrying him into this this courtyard, and they're carrying into him into this courtyard. And this, they the Spanish were like, "Okay, send the priest." And so they sent a priest to Atahualpa, and they and the priest was like, "Here's this book," mm-hmm. and the book was a Bible, mm-hmm. and the the Inca never had seen a goddamn book because they used <laughs> quipus, they used the strings nuts. to. Yeah, the knots to keep yeah. track of their information. And so here's Atahualpa, and he's like, what the fuck is this? And so he <laughs> throws it aside. Ooh, he's like, how dare you no. give me this? What is this? Like, I don't know what this is. And he just throws it. And so the Spanish were like, oh, he rejected God. Kill him. And so they started just killing everyone. And so they got in there, and they said that as they started killing the pallbearers that were holding at the Atahualpa, <laughs> uh, up another one would take his place holy fuck and then that person w- yeah and so by the end of it they had killed so many native people uh in that battle that the spanish couldn't even lift their arms at night anymore because they were so sore
1: that's so freaking fucked up i don't know what else to say to that
0: I it's really messed up. I mean, I was at the edge of my seat when this. Tea, I still remember this story. This was from two thousand. She told me the story two thousand seven. I this is all memory, so some of it might be wrong. But
1: but, but this the is drama what I remember. is there.
0: But the drama is there. It is high drama. Yeah, high drama. So, but I do remember he did throw the Bible. But obviously, he doesn't know what it is.
1: Yeah, and it's not like they're saying. I mean, they can't communicate. Period.
0: No, they're idiots. They're Ill- yeah. they, You know what, Francisco Pizarro, you couldn't even fucking read. Like, why are you out here trying to get somebody else to read? You couldn't even read the Bible yourself. Like, oh, my God, I hate him. Anyway, so he kidnaps, uh, Francisco Pizarro kidnaps uh, Atahualpa. And he makes a deal with Atahualpa. And I remember that from the stories that Atahualpa was like a pretty reasonable person. He was a really great Person, and they actually struck up like a not a friendship, I would say, but like a almost like a truce, like a mm-hmm. relationship of some sort, um, as captor and captive, whatever you could call that, like a, a truce, I guess. But Pizarro was like, Hey, I'll let you go if you can r- fill this room, an 88 cubic meter room full of gold. That's,
1: that's your insane. ransom. Also, so you don't we- negotiate with terrorists like that.
0: No, you don't. You don't. But they didn't have much of a choice. Then to ask for more. There- Yeah. But they didn't know that. At the walpa was like kind of being honorable. Yeah. You know, as honorable as, as, as someone in his position could be. He was like, okay, well, they'll honor this. So for weeks, people brought in gold objects from around the empire. And eventually, all that gold did end up filling that room. And that, and what happened to that gold? Obviously, it was uh, melted down by the Spanish into inglots, and was uh, sent back to Europe to fuel other conquests and to decorate their churches with.
1: Yay! I mean, it Yay. looks the, their churches are beautiful, so they are. T- but totally I still would- needed to do that. Totally.
0: Oh no! Absolutely. <laughs> As if I wouldn't melt down their stuff in their churches <laughs> and take that shit back. Yeah. I take that shit back. I'll go to Europe and I'm just like climbing into a church. They're never going to let you
1: anywhere <laughs> close to a church in Spain.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine. I'd be so. I w- that's why I don't go to churches. I'm like, no, I don't care about you. Um, so what? So what did Pizarro do? The honorable, very honorable Pizarro do after he got his gold. He killed Atahualpa anyways. Yeah. Saw Theref- that
1: coming.
0: Yep. Therefore, bringing an end to one of the largest empires the world had seen at that time. Can't emphasize that enough. So, this is where it gets a little crazy. Okay. Supposedly.
1: This has been was- crazy so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it gets crazy. Okay. Supposedly, this was all foreseen. So, I was reading. So I, I, I was reading this book, and what is this book called? The Bible. I, I wrote down the book. It's not the Bible. It's <laughs> not the stupid Bible. It's not the Bible. It's this book called "The Secret of the Incas" by William Sullivan, and he goes into this prophecy that was supposedly passed down through generations of royalty, and it was eventually written down by Garcilaso de la Vega who was part Incans, part Spanish. And he was just known as la Inca or the Inca. Mm-hmm. So this is his quote of what the what that prophecy was. So, that after a certain number of Incas had reigned, there would come to that land a people never seen before who would destroy the religion and the empire of the natives. He, and they're talking specifically about uh, Viracocha Inca, the eighth Incan king, ordered that it should be regarded as a tradition among the royal princes, and that it should not be divulged to the common people, because it was not right to profane that which came through divine revelation, nor was it wise to allow it to be known that hereafter, the Incas would lose their religion and their empire, and would fall from high estate. For this reason, nothing more was said of this prophecy until the Inca, Wayan, Capac openly referred to it a little before his death. The Indians gave the name of Viracocha to the Spaniards because they caused the fulfillment of this prophecy. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? crazy. So, on his supposedly this secret, this revelation came to Viracocha Inca, the eighth Incan king, and he ordered that, like, hey, he was like, no. Let's keep it on the DL. Let's not yeah. freak people out. Yeah. If it's we'll going to happen, we,
1: we don't need to, yeah.
0: Yeah. We don't need to, to freak anyone out, right? So what he ended up saying is he was like, okay, so let's just keep it on the DL. We won't let anyone know about it, but we'll pass it off to generation to generation. And it wasn't until Inca Huayancapac, uh, who was supposedly the last, you know, ruler Mm. Atapolpa was really the last ruler, but we'll say, uh, Wayan Kapak, he saw himself as the last ruler because okay. of this prophecy. And so he said it to everyone in that room. And so the, the, this, uh, chapter in this book was kind of examining, okay, so how true is this? Like, is yeah. this for real? Because it's, it's been largely, it was largely dismissed at the time by another historian. And, and it was seen as more of a, an excuse of how such a small number of men were able to conquer such a large and powerful empire. So it was a justification for right. a lot of the people being like, no, we weren't weak. It was just this was this was what it, it was going to be anyways. Like, no matter what we did, it was fate.
1: Yeah. That's understandable. This,
0: yeah. I mean, I can see why people would like to justify the complete destruction of their culture yeah. somehow. <laughs> Yeah. You know? So, but this is the last thing I'll say. There is another account of this prophecy that is completely separate from García Lazo's account. It was written down in 1542, 10 years after the conquest. In this story, Wayankapak called his son Atahualpa to his bedside as he was dying of smallpox. He told him to watch out for the Viracochas, or another way of saying the more than human foreigners. So The Secret of the Incas by William Sullivan goes way deeper into the prophecy and how and why it could have originated. Mm -hmm. So you can go read that because I'm not going to go into it because it was very long. But I thought that was really interesting that you have two separate instances of this prophecy being supposedly foretold and so i'm like okay that's two different sources is actually better than just one source yeah that's so weird it's so strange and so to me how it relates to everything now the story of the incas fall is actually a bit of a cautionary cautionary tale to me was it a prophecy or was it really disease that brought down the empire So if you remove the disease element, the Spanish would have faced a united empire and leadership with a clear line of Mm secession. And you see the pandemic today and how it was, it has truly like shut down everything. And you can kind of easily imagine what the indigenous people felt at that time. And we are barely at 1% of the population dying, you know, from COVID. So you can imagine, not even 1%. So you can imagine how horrible it must have been to witness 50 to 90% of the population die at the same time as a civil war. Yeah. And these scary, you know, light-skinned people showing up out of nowhere. Like, if people... If there were some aliens that showed up all of a sudden, I'd be like, fuck it. It's <laughs> the end of the definitely world. definitely the end. <laughs> yeah, this is the end. This is the end. And one of the reasons why I thought of this story of the Inca and in the and in the fall of the Incan Empire is because disease doesn't care. Disease... No will penetrate royalty it'll go you know go after anyone and i saw that you know the the prime minister of of the uk was sick and i was just like all right time's up you bastard i hope you die <laughs> Brenda. <laughs> he, he didn't spoiler alert, he didn't he's fine now i guess but um i, mean, I was a horrible
1: that- human being
0: no, he is a horrible human being. And I'm hoping, to me, I was like, oh, man, I wish the same thing kind of happened, that happened to the Incan Empire, kind of happened, at least just with the leadership. Yeah. Wouldn't that be kind of cool, divine retribution? But we have, it, it's it been, you know, we have yet to be, that's been yet to be seen. We'll see. But, but it'd be great I mean, to start off fresh.
1: <laughs> I don't think it would happen, honestly.
0: I think it's too, again, it's the same thing that happened with the Spanish, right? And why they weren't affected with, with the salmonella slash hemorrhagic, hemorrh- hemorrhagic, hemorrhagic, hemorrhagic fever is because of class. Yeah. And class. so the people at the top are just not going to, they're going to recover it. Like the PM, who I thought was older, he looks
1: old. <laughs> he looks really old.
0: I thought he was fifty. He he's fifty five.
1: <laughs> he looks. I mean, he looks. He looks a very worn out fifty five. He looks like he's lived.
0: He looks like he's gone. So you know, my mother said this once to a boy that showed up at my door. Um, he wasn't my boy. I'll say that much. He was my friend's boy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> boyfriend. And she looks at it. She looks at him, and she goes, "Oh my god." Parece que lo arrastraron por la
1: calle. Your mom is awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Spanish, that is translated to, my mom looked at the student and was like, wow, it looked like they dragged him through the streets. He looked so ugly.
1: Oh my God. Mothers are really good at reading people. Like, I sent my mom a picture of myself just to show her that I'm doing fine. Yeah. And next thing you know, I get a text. She's like, what's wrong? She's like, there's something wrong with your eyes. You look tired and sick. What's wrong? And I'm like, oh, my God, so much <laughs> attitude. I'm just, I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. I'm not doing exceptionally well during this very terrible time. Yeah.
1: My eyes were just, you know, there was something wrong with my face. So she had to call it out. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. Now, my mom is, is very funny in that way. That was the funniest thing she's ever said to me within recent memory that I can remember. It was just so out of nowhere and so true. She was so right because that guy was such bad news for my friends. Oh, my God. He was such a piece of crap. Such a piece of crap. His first name is Drew, so I'm just gonna say that much. But yeah, he was he was garbage. He's absolute garbage. Uh, he did a lot of really crappy things to my good friend. So I'm kind of like, if I see him, I smack him, smack him right in the face.
1: Okay, so you've you've just admitted you will assault someone. <laughs> <laughs> You'll burn down a church in this one and episode, I'm <laughs> and I'm hoping
0: for the death of all our leadership. <laughs>
1: I am surprised that you haven't been arrested yet. Just putting that they out there. They can't find me. Okay.
0: How are they gonna find me? That's that's true. <laughs> I'm in this closet. Whatever. I'll just wear a wig. No one's gonna know the difference. No one knows what I am. It's one of the things that I make. I bet with people. I'm like, can you guess what I am? And they're like, oh, you're black, bitch. I'm not black. <laughs>
1: I was like, what do you mean what you are? I didn't realize that you were talking about, like, race, ethnicity.
0: <laughs> oh, you I I thought you, you were, like, you mean? meant you were a,
1: a shape shifter or something. Nobody knows who <laughs> I really am.
0: <laughs> no one knows that I'm actually a horrifying monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not your human. your face off. <laughs> I'm a vida cocha, more than human. Oh, wow. I know, I'm mean- bringing it back.
1: I know. Good job. Because we got way off track. Thank I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but, anyways,
1: I think that's, that's kind it, of why.
0: right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's essentially it. If you want to know more about the Incan civilization, I highly recommend just uh, reading that Secret of the Incas book. Uh, I also recommend, so, one of the sources that I went to is uh, ancient.eu Incan civilization. And I also went to discoverperu.org, which uh, outlined the fall of the Inca Empire, and also just Wikipedia. I went to Wa- Huayna uh, Capac's Wikipedia page, um, and so that was really interesting.
1: Cool. Yeah. That's yeah. it for our episode today. I think it was somewhat cathartic for me to do this research yeah. on pandemics and epidemics. I don't, I don't know. I'm glad we did this
0: yeah i mean i'm i was doubtful because a lot of what i've been doing right now is kind of like going into i'm trying to do escapist things you know like trying to escape everything that's going on yeah. but at the same time it's like no this is also kind of like a, a weird level of escapism that's close but not too close
1: you yeah. know and, so and i, I appreciate your suggestion. knowing like i feel like there's some safety and knowledge
0: I want to say, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you want to continue supporting us, please leave us a review. Just let us know what you think. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you want us to cover, let us know. Also, please subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at Monstras Podcast, or you can email us at monstraspodcast at gmail.com. So let us know what you think. And that's basically it. Stay safe, everyone. Stay home, stay weird, and yeah, wash your crotch. That's my (laughs) advice.
1: Good advice. Good life advice. See y'all later. See ya. (laughs) Bye.